you take your Bibles and turn with me, take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And I want to talk to you today about a fitting response for the king. What is a fitting response? How should we respond to the king? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I'd like to give a shout out to Zach and the stage crew, the stage, and those who helped with the stage design several weeks ago. Every time you walk into our sanctuary, you hear a message being preached. It's a visual sermon. It's a visual sermon that says something in three words. It says, worship the king. Wise men get it. Wise men still understand it. And not only do they understand it, but they do it. What else is fitting? What else is a fitting response when you come into contact with the king? Not just an ordinary king, but the king of kings. Now, the Magi were wise men who came from the east. They were not Jews, yet they recognized the star. They recognized the signs of his coming. Some suggest that they traveled for months. Some suggest up to two years to come and to worship him. And they came to express to him the honor, the respect, the reverence, the praise, the love, the adoration that's due to him. These men recognized this king's royal status. They recognized him when they came. They said, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? But friend, he wasn't just being born king of the Jews. Playing there beside Mary was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They were not coming to see an ordinary baby, but they were coming to see the ancient of days. The one who would split time as we know it from B.C. to A.D. They were coming to meet with the one who was before time and before space. He was there, and they were coming to meet with him. They came with one purpose. They came with intent on finding him and worshiping him. I hope that you came into this house with a singular purpose today. If you came for any other reason, listen to me. When you come for the wrong reason, a lot of times you'll leave disappointed. But if you came today intent on meeting with the king, I want to tell you today i got good news for you. He's here, and he's been waiting on you. He is here, and he's been waiting on you. He's been looking for you. He has been anticipating your arrival. He's been walking throughout these pews. He's been walking throughout the candlesticks. He's moving among his people, and he's been waiting for you to come and meet with him. The funny thing is, is we think we have to go find God. He already found us. We think we found him. No, he found you. You just need to recognize that he is here in our midst. I believe that God brought you here today because you're hungry. You want something that really satisfies your soul. 
have seen that the Lord is good. But you know what? Once you taste, it's kind of like potato chips. You can tell I like potato chips. I'm going to a, a rant. And once you taste of the Lord and you see that He is good, there is nothing that satisfies your soul like being in His presence. Can I get an amen? There's nothing that satisfies your soul. There's nothing that fills you up. There's nothing that gives you boldness and confidence. There's nothing that gives you joy. There's nothing that gives you encouragement. There's nothing that lifts you out of the pit of despair and hopelessness like being in the presence of the King. If that's you today, if you've come to meet with Him, if you long for His presence, could you just give Him a little shout of praise? Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. You know what the Word says? He says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. The Word tells us that when we seek Him with our whole heart, we'll find Him. And the Word says that He inhabits the praises of His people. So you get a bunch of people who just start lifting up His name and worshiping Him and exalting Him and talking about Him. His presence, we talked about it last week, His Shekinah glory, the heaviness, the weightiness of His presence begins to settle down on Him. It don't matter if you're in an old beat-up pickup truck. The presence of God begins to settle down. It don't matter if you're in a tree stand up in the mountains hunting deer. The presence of God begins to settle down. You can be in your, uh, your corner office and you begin to lift up His name and exalt Him. And the presence of the Lord begins just to come down and settle in. And whenever the secretary comes in or the other businessman comes in, he begins to sense and he begins to be convicted by the presence of God because God's presence is as real as you and I are standing here today. His presence is as real and as powerful. We give him praise for that. Verse 3, when the king heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. And when they called together all the people, chief priests and the teachers of the law, they asked him, where are the Messiah? We sang about him. Where are the Messiah? The one that they had longed for and hoped for was to be born. Verse 5, in Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, but this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. Now, Herod's a stinking liar. He's like the devil. The devil lies to you anytime the devil speaks. Anytime he speaks to you, he is speaking half-truths and lies. And Herod was speaking a lie. When Herod heard about what the wise men had to say, he and the people of Jerusalem were disturbed. Why was he disturbed? Because he viewed this baby as a threat to his kingdom, and rightfully so. But he did not understand the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Herod was a ruthless monster. We think it's tough that he killed the two-year-old baby boys in Bethlehem. Herod even killed his own children to protect his throne. History would say that he had nine or ten wives, and he was known for his treachery and his lust. An Edomite, he had a natural kind of disdain for the Jews. It's not surprising then that he sent out a decree that all the baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under, 
be killed because he was attempting to protect his kingdom. Now, I want you to understand this. The enemy wants to protect his kingdom. And whenever the king, the one who rightfully owns your life, the one who rightfully has ownership of you and lordship of your life, begins to show up in your life, sometimes there's areas... There's pockets of resistance inside people's hearts that the enemy feels he has a rightful claim to. And he begins to get disturbed. He does not want you to draw near to the Lord. Because he understands that when you draw near to the Lord and you see Jesus high and lifted up, that there becomes liberty and liberation in those places. People with addictions, it begins to fall off of them when they understand who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is. When they begin to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, old habits that we would say Satan has a stronghold in. It doesn't belong to him. He's a squatter. Look to the person next to you. Say, the devil's just a squatter. He's a squatter. He does not have a rightful place in your life. He doesn't really own that. But he snuck his way in there and he set up camp in that place. But Jesus is the rightful king of your life. He owns you. He's purchased you with his blood. And so whenever you see this starting to happen, the enemy becomes disturbed. It bothers him. And so he'll try to wreak havoc and try to distract you and get you looking in a different direction. And he tries to abort the work of God in your life. Again and again, he tries to stop what God is attempting and what God is planning on doing. Satan recognized it, not just the threat, but the reality of the kings coming to earth and the devastating impact it would have upon his kingdom. You see, he remembered the words of God in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God said to the serpent, he said, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your stinking head. That's what he said to it. He said, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be happy for my, if I had to choose between the two. I would rather have my heel be a little bruised than my head crushed. All right? I would much rather that. This is the first, listen, this is the first gospel declared in the Bible. The good news that the woman seed, Jesus, the Messiah, would ultimately defeat Satan and crush him under his feet. And here he is. Here he shows up on earth. It's been hundreds and thousands of years since that day in the garden. It's been centuries. But finally, in this right moment in time, Jesus, the Messiah, he shows up in a little town called Bethlehem. Now, as I was praying this morning, God just began to speak to me as I was standing back here worshiping. And God began to speak to me that, that I showed up in Bethlehem. It was an insignificant town. It was small. If you go there today, it's, it's a small town. It's not something, we were there, it's not something like you're like, wow. But God just began to speak to me and he just said, yeah, I'm going to show up here in your midst. We may look at ourselves as small and significant, but you become something extraordinary. When God shows up in your life, your gifts and your talents 
and your abilities may be small in your own eyes. But when God shows up in your ministry, when God shows up in your family, when God shows up in your life, He does extraordinary supernatural things. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Aren't you glad that you're a child of the Most High King? That you've been adopted into your family? That He considers you His son and His daughter? Aren't you glad that He's not ashamed of you? A lot of people think that the Father is ashamed of us. He's, he's not ashamed of us. He has purchased us with His blood. But you know what? In a room this size, if you're here and you're not right with Him, right now, before we go any further, I want to stop what we're doing. I want to give you an opportunity to accept His gift of eternal life. To accept the invitation to come and be a part of his family. The reality of it is this. That Jesus exchanged his life for yours. He came and lived a sinless life. He died on a cruel cross and bore upon himself the penalty of sin. So that you may be at peace with God. So that you can be part of his family. He doesn't want anyone. He doesn't want anyone, you know, like you think about Christmas, the Christmas season, we think, oh, it's so sad for someone to be alone for Christmas. It's sad for someone to be alone for Thanksgiving. Well, he doesn't want you to be alone anytime. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to expose himself to you. And he wants you to be in an intimate relationship with him. And so the enemy would want you to feel so embarrassed and ashamed about the sins that you've done. He wants you to feel guilty and condemned. But you know what? Jesus paid that price. So many people think, uh, we had people here last uh, Friday night with the uh, people, the, the food bank serves, and we had a meal for them. And we sat down with them, and we were talking. I sat at the table and talked to them. And then someone said, Pastor. And they went, they looked kind of funny at me. You're a favorite pastor? Oh, yeah, I do that. I do that, yeah. You're in a church. That one, one lady said to her boyfriend, you're in a church. You know what? God invites those who are far from him, those who have fallen, those who know that they're lost. He invites you to come and have a personal relationship with him. In fact, this is what he did. You know what he did? He said, I understand that because of sin, you're going to be separated from me. I understand that you're imperfect. You're born in sin. You're shaped in iniquity, the scripture says. But I'm going to send my son, and he's going to pay the price. And you can have his righteousness. And that's what he wants to impart to you today. He wants to give to you his righteousness. And as we're here today, I just want to lead you. But, you know, if there's one person in here, who you just say, Pastor, I'm at peace with God. Things aren't cool with me and God. I don't think he even likes me. I'm afraid to go around him. I want you to know he's coming after you today. You're on his list. Listen to me. You're on his list. He's running you down. You may think you're here by chance. You may think that you're here by accident. You may think today's just an ordinary day, but it's not. He's coming after you. He's seeking after you. You may say, I'm not worthy for him to come after me. But his grace and his love, he will pursue. Listen to me. He will pursue you and pursue you 
and pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. He's going to seek after. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And what is he looking for? He's looking for someone who will simply say, I receive. I just receive you. I receive your gift. I receive your righteousness. Let's right now. This is for our hands. This is moment. Lord Jesus, I pray that this room will be holy. That this room has been dedicated to you to be a sanctuary where your presence and your glory dwells. And I just ask that if there's one person within the sound of my voice who feels like I'm just so far from God, but I feel him calling me, and I want to respond to him. If that's you today, with everybody's heads bowed and your eyes closed, can I just get you slip up your hand? I want to pray with you. Just feel like, Pastor, you just say, Pastor, God's calling me. Thank you. Somebody else? Thank you. Thank you. I want to lead you in prayer today. The Bible says when one person responds to Jesus Christ, that all of the angels in heaven rejoice. And as a congregation, I'd like you to pray with me. Why don't you pray it out loud? My friend, you raise your hand. We're going to pray. I want you to pray out loud with us. That's all of Lord Jesus, I confess my sins to you. I believe that Jesus died upon the cross, that he rose again on the third day, that he paid the price for my sins. And I accept your gift of salvation. I confess Jesus as my Lord. I believe in my heart that he'll change me and make me into the person that he's called me to be. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank me for making me a part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you what happened. In an instant, in an instant, God takes one who's dead and makes them alive. In an instant, in an instant, God takes a heart that's stone and he makes a heart of flesh. In an instant, God transforms us from death to life, from darkness to light in an instant. He does it in an instant. And you know what? He does his work. His work is the eternal work that he's doing in us. He does something in us that doesn't just feel good for a day, that doesn't feel good for a week, that doesn't feel good for a month. But you'll never be satisfied. You're never going to be the same in Jesus' name. You know, sin doesn't taste as good anymore. It doesn't feel good. It, you know, it kind of ruins you for the devil. It kind of ruins you for the garbage in this world. When you come in because what you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. Praise the Lord. Now, here's the thing today. With that understanding, verse 9, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and notice what they did. And they bowed and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Herod did not know God's word, but had to ask the scribes. The scribes knew the word, but they did not act upon it. The wise men in that day and today as well are both hearers and doers of the word. How close the priests were to the Messiah. 
they had heard about him for hundreds of years, and, and this promise had been coming for centuries. Yet they were a little over five miles away, and they did not go to see him. The visit of the Magi is an indication that the Gentiles will one day worship the king. That the Gentiles will be calling. Their experience is a good lesson to us in finding the will of God. I want you to notice that they followed the star. Very similar to the Israelites following the pillar of cloud by day and the fire fire by night. The star led them and came to rest where he was. Isn't that something? How the Lord is faithful to lead those who are seeking him. We think that we're just going on our own way. But we can rejoice because the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by God. We may not even recognize it when it's happening. But as we look back, we can see how the Holy Spirit again and again directed our lives and pointed us to Jesus. Many of us, even when we were not looking for him, when we were not pursuing him, he was pursuing us. When they came to the place where it was, the scripture says that they were overjoyed. And they did the only reasonable thing that they could do. They bowed and they worshipped. You see, they recognized that they were in the presence of the divine. The Bible says this, that they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts. They refused to come before the king empty-handed, but they opened their treasures. There's a lot of people who try to explain what the different gifts were, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. And and there's been, over the centuries, there's been many explanations. And I don't know that we can definitely say that this is what they represent. And this is what they are. But, but as I was thinking of it, I, you know, I, I don't know if it's right or not. But I was thinking about the gold, it's our wealth. What are the things that you treasure? What are the things that are of value? What do we offer to God in worship? And I was thinking of the gold and the being representing wealth. Frankincense in the form of incense. Like our prayers and our praise that's offered up. Our praise and our prayers are a sweet-smelling incense to the Lord. He loves them. It attracts him. It draws his attention. Our praise and our prayers, there's something that, as we offer that up, it's an offering. It's one of our treasures. One of the things that are of great value to us. And, you know, myrrh, myrrh was used in embalming as a perfume. They'd give myrrh to people when they're dying, when they're crucifying them, or, or when they're being put to death, and I'm trying to make them delusional. But I was thinking of things dying. You know, part of my worship, when I come into the presence of the king, there's something inside of me that has to die. When I come into the presence of the Lord in true worship, I come before him. I can't come before him with pride in my heart. It has to die for me to be in his presence. I can't come before him with bitterness and anger in my heart. And when I come before him with bitterness and anger in my heart, it begins to disintegrate when I'm in the presence of the king. Arrogance, sin, it dies in his presence. It cannot stand in his presence. And what happens is that's why you see sometimes people will slip out. 
They'll come close to God like we talked last week, and they'll kind of step back. But friend, when you press in, listen to me, when you press into His presence and you draw near to Him, come to Him even with your bitterness and with your anger and your resentment and your hurt and your brokenness and your addictions and your habits. If you will not stay outside, if you'll press in, He will burn those things out of you. He will transform you for His glory and for His honor. You can't clean yourself up enough to come into His presence, but in His presence, He kills those things. Those things that belong to the sinful nature, they begin to die in His presence. And that's part of our offering to the Lord. That's what I'm offering to Him. I'm offering Him my brokenness. I'm offering Him my addictions, my sins, my bad habits, my brokenness. And I come before Him, and what does He do? He makes me whole. He brings me to life. That's what the presence of God does. So today, you, my friend, are in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What else could you possibly do? What do wise men do? They bow and they worship. Listen to this verse. I have this scripture for you. Psalms chapter 24, starting at verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas. And established it on the waters. Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods. They receive blessing. Listen to this. They receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. In the first service, I felt so very strongly that there was someone who God was going to vindicate you. I'd say that's for you again today in the second service. You will receive blessing when you come into his presence. You seek after him. You follow him. You follow him with all of your heart. You will see blessing and vindication from God their Savior. It says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. And here's the verses that I love. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord. Why don't you stand with me? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He says, lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Hallelujah. Friends, you are in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Those wise men found him. They sought after him. And today as you sought after him, the only reasonable, the only reasonable response would be to fall upon our knees before him and worship him for a while. And after you've worshipped him for a while, the only other reasonable response would be to open up your treasures. Open up your treasures and pour out your love upon him. Give him your praise. Give him your worship. Give him your prayers. So that it ascends to heaven like a sweet-smelling savor. And pour out before him your brokenness. Let him kill those things that belong to the sinful nature. Offer them up to the Lord today. And allow him to make all things new. That's what he does. He kills certain things. He cuts away certain things so that new life 
freshness, fullness of the Spirit can rise up within you. If the Lord spoke to you today and you want to recognize Him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that's what I'm going to ask you to do just for a few moments. Can I ask you that you would just respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit as He calls you? Would you find a place around these altars just to kneel down and just spend a few minutes in worshiping Him and lifting up His name, acknowledging Him who He is? Do you want to kneel there in your pew? We're just going to get